Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 69. Have you ever heard about people talk about how difficult the restaurant and food business is? Well, today you're going to hear from Kieran Folliard, who moved to the U.S. from Ireland at a really early age and has successfully sold some of the most popular Irish bars and restaurants in Minnesota and his whiskey brand, Two Gingers. You'll learn how culture, people, and passion helped Kieran grow a great brand and some of the most popular bars and restaurants within the Twin Cities and allowed him to exit both his companies while he continues to follow his passion. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with Kieran. This episode of Life After Business is brought to you by Solidity Financial's Growth and Exit Planning. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the right buyer at the price you want. Karen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? It's a nice Dude. sunny day here in Minnesota, so that's always good. Yeah, I can't complain, right? It's uh, we're we're getting the the winter and the fall weather, but it's uh, any day, and I think it's actually even better to have a nice uh, cup of whiskey too, which is going to be part of the premise of the conversations today. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'll never deny that. <laughs> so, um, for our listeners' uh, sake, well, yeah, you've got a really cool background, and you know you've you've been an entrepreneur. You've got a couple different ventures, but well, take us back to your days in Ireland, and how you know how did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And because you, your journey to become an entrepreneur and even into the states is an interesting one. So I don't know, maybe can you give us the the, the brief backdrop of it? Well, for a start, I, I can hardly spell the word entrepreneur, uh, <laughs> and uh, it certainly I didn't start out um, thinking about uh, the word entrepreneur or what it actually meant. I really grew up in a small rural community in the west of Ireland in County Mayo, and the field I worked in as a kid, uh, I still actually own there. And the opportunity, I suppose, really um, for uh, you know, getting a good education. Um, I was born in 55, and in early 1960, uh, 60, uh, the opportunity to go to what you would call high school here, we call secondary school, it became free education in Ireland. And that was a uh, really, the, I would say, the start of uh, what has now become a very thriving, well-educated, very... Uh, a successful economy in Ireland, uh, notwithstanding a few bumps along the way, one about five, well, seven years ago, I guess. Uh, and so that opportunity, um, what it did was uh, take people from uh, giving them an opportunity to not have to immigrate uh, and to not also just have to go into the trades. Uh, nothing wrong with that if you were, uh, if that was really your 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 passion or your skill set, etc. Uh, and then the opportunity, I would say, to um, to think about what sort of a uh, a life that you wanted in terms of your the work that you would pursue. And so that was the pivotal in terms of just. Yeah, I just happened to be born, I suppose, with many other people at the right time with free education. And then I also grew up with a, a, a fairly 
curious and uh, open, encouraging uh, uh, father and mother. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, curious is a is a is a great way, and especially if you got the landscape to be able to to explore and have the opportunity to figure out what it is that you were passionate about. So, what it, what is it that you were passionate about, and how did you start exploring what kind of life you wanted to create? Well, you connected two words there: passionate and exploring, and that was uh, exploring was definitely high on my agenda. I even went to Manchester in England when I was uh, 16 and worked for the summer uh, over their construction uh, and came back. And I was given that opportunity by my parents because they really didn't, uh, they didn't stand in my way. My mother was 43 and my father was 46 when I was born. And uh, we, we joke in the family, they, they happen to be, this isn't a joke, but they, they were also second cousins. And my kids say, is it any wonder I ended up the way I am? Uh, but, <laughs> you know, awesome. by the time I was, I was 16, they were, they were almost 60. And it was kind of like, oh, you want to go work in England for the summer? Sure. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I couldn't imagine having done that with my own kids at this stage. But that opportunity was there. And so I really looked towards, I had a curiosity about travel, about people, exploring and uh, shortly after college, I got an opportunity to go work in uh, Riyadh in Saudi Arabia for an Irish uh, food company, two farmers from Northern Ireland, and helped launch a dairy products brand, which was a really interesting story. And I think it was pivotal, again, once again, another pivotal moment uh, in terms of pursuing like a vision or a passion for something. And I suppose what you would call an entrepreneurial kind of a journey. Uh, because the two brothers, Alistair and Paddy McGuckian, were um, uh, certainly Alistair was very, very visionary in uh, in what he wanted to achieve in his business life, and they helped um, or they launched uh, a dairy products brand called Al Marai, uh, literally uh, farms in the middle of the desert, hmm. uh, cows in air conditioned housing, central pivot irrigation systems from Nebraska, growing sorghum grass eight feet tall, and the brand we launched in 1977 is probably the most successful indigenous brand in the entire Persian Gulf today, employing 35,000 people. Whoa. So that made a, certainly a very big impression upon me that, you know, dreams um, uh, were certainly uh, achievable or you could certainly pursue the dreams uh, provided you were prepared to, you know, to work and uh, to take action. So. Yeah, and once once your mind expands and you're able to see that, it's hard to it's hard to go backwards, isn't it? Well, I, I yes, it is. I would say that uh, you know a little bit like a muscle. You know, you you work it uh, whether you're playing football or uh, wrestling or running, whatever it happens to be. You know, you can get better at it, and if you're uh, if you become uh, uh, and in the best sense of the word, addicted to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, th- there's potentially a downside too. It can be a two-edged sword because it can become everything uh, in your life. But uh, if you can balance that somehow, then I think, yeah, you want to pursue more and you want to continue to build and to uh, uh, to take risk and to work hard on things. So, how did you after you after you launched that brand um, with them? And you saw the dreams were able to be accomplished like that. How did that change where your passion and where you want the life that you wanted to create? Because, I mean, I'm assuming there's a couple stepping stones into jumping in to doing it for yourself. Was it 
how did you connect those dots and decide what your passion is? What, what passion did you want to pursue at that point? Well, I would say uh, very clearly I can look back and think about even long before that, even back when I was 11 or 12 years of age. I liked ideas. I liked the idea of, oh, you know, I could do this. And um, pursuing that, just the, the, the notion of uh, having a thought that you could visualize how that might work out and what would happen if it worked out to the degree that you were envisioning it seemed very appealing to me. It seemed like, boy, that's kind of an interesting, an interesting thing to do as opposed to, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for some other things. I certainly academically, when it came to the sciences, wouldn't have been a strong suit. Uh, the things that I really loved at school were geography, funnily enough, history, uh, English. And so it was more on the liberal uh, arts side of, uh, of things. And so, you know, from the first time when I said to my father, um, you know, I want a section of this field. I was like 12 years of age <laughs> and I want to go cr- carrot in it and I want to sell those to the, the shop in the village uh, Tom Hopkins shop that was, he said oh yeah okay fair enough and, and, <laughs> yeah, fire ahead and so um, for that idea that seems uh, like really why wouldn't you just do this with everything in your life you know why wouldn't <laughs> yeah. this become your passion so it was really the pursuit of ideas and bringing them to life I would say that was that was the passion, not so much really the business side of things, because I certainly have never been motivated by money. Um, If I was, uh, I'd probably have a lot of it now. And instead of just always spending it on new (laughs) ventures. Yeah. So what was the what, what was the idea that you had? that got you into the hospitality of the pubs and the, how did you make the launch from the, from launching the, the food brands to actually starting a, and I, I, I'm assuming there's a time there where you actually came to Minnesota and out of Minnesota of all places. I got to ask why before we get into it. Uh, well, we did get exposed to Minnesota because we did, we had a joint venture. Mastock was the company I worked with. We had a joint venture with Cargill. So ah. I did get exposed to, uh, get exposed to here. I never worked for them, but <clears throat> but we did have a joint venture with them in Saudi, or well, in the in the Persian Gulf itself. Uh, and so exposed to it here. And I do like to say that there is a saying: the best entrepreneurial ideas come from uh, solving your own problem. And my problem, after being here a couple of years in the Twin Cities, was there were no Irish pubs. There were some very good Irish American pubs. Uh, here, uh, but nothing that of what I would call the modern take on an Irish pub. And so I decided to open up a pub myself, you know, because I like sitting in pubs. I like what pubs are about. <laughs> Solve your own you problem, know, create your own bar. I, I mean, like, what's yeah, a better idea? create your own bar and you get to, to work, create a culture, a culture of, of hospitality, a culture of, uh, of culture uh, as it relates to Irish music, theater, poetry, sports from Ireland. And so we were activating all of these things. So, uh, you know, we put a satellite on the roof in 1994 when I opened up Kieran's originally. And that year I got to uh, to watch the World Cup with Ireland in it. And, you know, <laughs> things like that Gaelic football direct from Ireland. So it was like really creating your own entertainment center. But it was hard work and I was working uh, a lot of the time. Uh, but it was also a passion uh, um, I did discover 
that passion is fine, but you better have some uh, some expertise as well <laughs> uh, for it. And I didn't have a lot. Of, I didn't have any training in particular in the pub business, but I did manage uh, to hire some very good people who I worked with, uh, and eventually they ended up being the people that actually, uh, for the most part, own the pubs today. So, and that, there's a lot of different ways I want to go with that, because first, I guess the first question that I have is, um, the restaurant, you said you started your own pub and restaurant, and then you own a, a handful of them around the Twin Cities, all very reputable and great uh, places that a lot of people know of. The restaurant industry is notoriously looked at as, as, as a hell of a time and very difficult because of a lot of different uh, reasons. A, was it as difficult, you know, if it was it as difficult and then B, how did that transition into you opening up multiple, multiple locations? Because obviously you figured something out that you were able to leverage. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, well, it is a very difficult business because I think it is a kind of a nickel and dime business. Um, uh, and you really have to be very uh, focused on controlling your costs, your systems that are in place, uh, and then obviously bringing all the things to the table um, that, you know, that your concept uh, require uh, so that you can attract um, uh, a loyal following and build a reputation and build a good business. Uh, and I think key to it, certainly from an Irish pub standpoint, is, uh, you know, an atmosphere. Uh, you think of the pub culture, the public house in Ireland. Uh, you want to have a very welcoming, warm environment. You want to have quality in the finishes of the work that, that, uh, that when it's put together, uh, I think that you have to bring value uh, for money because, it's, of course, it is a public house. It's an egalitarian gathering spot. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it's the hospitality side of it. I mean, the Irish are known. I mean, when people go to Ireland and they come back and, and I talk to them and they say, oh, my God, the place is beautiful. And the people were so friendly. <laughs> And that really is, I mean, it's at the heart of really the Irish pub experience as well is, you know, it's got to be feel great in the place and people have got to be friendly. And so, you know, that wasn't a stretch for me in terms of, uh, I mean, that is how I feel. I feel uh, in general about people, uh, the people I work with or whether it's customers or the community. Um, I, I do believe in that everybody is equal and everybody's on a journey and that people have to be treated well. Uh, and with respect, and uh, but also have a little bit of fun along the way. And so the pub is supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a rejuvenate you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. uh, and so that was, again, there was something, and, and it was, of course, Irish and all the things that went on with it, I felt very, very strongly about that. And, uh, of course, as I hired more some really good people, they want to grow the business as well. And my strength, I would say, if there was there, it was really about the ability to get the resources, uh, to take risk on things, uh, to work hard, and uh, you know to have a vision for the business. And those are all things that I would say are key to what you would call the, the entrepreneurial kind of experience of what it takes to to, to make it work. And uh, then you 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 partner with, and you have a very strong team that has other complementary skills in terms of operation. Um, just to make sure that the trains run on time. Right. And, and I think, you know, 
every entrepreneur that I've ever talked to, myself, my clients, anybody, the people is always one of the biggest struggles because I can totally tell just how genuine you are and you truly would be an absolute freaking blast to sit down and have some, <laughs> some drinks with. How do you take your... You know, it's the team. How do you translate that into other people? Because to open up multiple locations and to eventually pass it on to that. I mean, you. how did you go about hiring and building that team and making sure that the different skill sets are complementary? Because I think that's something that people struggle with so much. Well, again, I think I can speak from personal experience. And I do believe it's very, very difficult uh, to do uh, I think it's very important to start with, um, you know, a, a strong sense of yourself, one, uh, a strong sense of the culture that you want to create uh, in the business. You've got to model uh, the characteristics of that culture and then uh, do your best to hire people that uh, you believe can not alone uh, model, but actually uh, believe in uh, and are the embodiment of the characteristics of that culture. And, uh, you know, in a, a pub, envir- Irish pub environment, uh, I would say people who are by nature are friendly. I'd say by nature are positive, have a positive attitude. Uh, I mean, nothing worse than going into an, an Irish pub and everybody's a bit of a downer. I mean, God's sake. Um, <laughs> I mean, what's just, so in I the pub? You, well, oh, I can tell you, I did not get it right all of the time. There were, <laughs> trust me, there were plenty of mistakes made, but I think uh, by and large, probably uh, on balance, uh, we made more uh, right uh, hires than, uh, than poor ones. And uh, then uh, I do believe in that old maxim as well, that uh, uh, hires, Slow and fire fast. Mm-hmm. If uh, if there isn't a strong cultural fit. Um, so now that you know, if you, as you got as you built this team out, you said that you know vision was important and having a good team. So what was the vision? Out, you know, as the your I'm assuming your vision grew too after Kieran's. You know, how did that? How did you establish a vision? What was the vision for the pubs? Was there a certain amount of location? Was it just having fun? Uh, what was your vision? And then, because that'll that'll dovetail into how things pivoted for you. But you know, when you think about just the pubs, how did you and your team establish the vision, and where did you see that going, or re- as you were growing it? Well, the the old English philosopher Samuel Johnson he once said, "The great thing about the Irish is they never speak well of each other." Uh, so my my vision for the pubs was really rooted in the fact that I wanted to create and build pubs here that if people, colleagues or countrymen or women of my own from Ireland, direct from Ireland, came into the pubs, that they would be, I suppose, complimentary, that they would be, uh, they feel proud of the, of the pubs, that they'd be happy with them. It may not necessarily be their cup of tea in some regard, but that they would feel that it represented them and their uh, and our culture and our country uh, very well. So that was, so I suppose, what would you call that authenticity, you know, um, that it was real and it was true. And so I would say that that was important. Locations, obviously, are very important. And then I think it is you know, how do you create something that you feel has longevity, you know? So I, if I took the local, for instance, which I opened 20 years ago uh, with a good team, um, 20 years this year, 
And my thinking on that is that it can be around, it was actually built in 1912, the building, and I wanted the physical structure inside at the local uh, to be able to withstand another hundred years. And, you know, I feel that that was achieved. Markets do change. You know, the pubs have been around now for quite a few years, but it's still it's a very challenging time right now in the Twin Cities for uh, for uh, bars and restaurants, uh, particularly because of the lack of tip credit. Uh, and, I mean, I think everybody, uh, certainly all the people I know in the business, are certainly in favor of a, a very livable minimum wage. Uh, and certainly in the liquor side of the bar restaurant business, I, I, you know, I don't know. Nobody has ever talked to me and said that they were opposed to the $15 minimum wage. Uh, I mean, many people within the organization are already at that, are very close to it. It was the lack of tip credits um, that is a real, that's a, the real challenge. And so I think that, uh, you know, when you look at First, that, that, that kind of that vision, and it's really about the long haul in terms of, uh, you know, do you see, are, are you doing this so that they remain uh, in business for, for a long time and that they have obviously got to be kept up? Uh, you got to keep, I won't say reinventing, but uh, that there is an element of reinventing to stay current because trends do change and so forth. But I do believe that uh, even today, as much as any time in the past, the idea of having a gathering place where people can come and feel comfortable and let their hair down, and whether they're by themselves sitting at the bar reading their, I would have normally said newspaper, but now it'll be reading something on their iPhone, uh, or whether it's a group of people letting their hair down after, you know, a day at work, or a family coming out to enjoy themselves and they're going to a concert or a game are celebrating something or maybe commiserating over something. That sort of environment, I think, you know, with uh, obviously the technology world and how it's developing at such a rapid rate, that still that human connection, uh, I still, I can't foresee a time when there won't be a need for that type of space. Well, I completely agree with you. And, and you've got, that's the best part about why we everybody does what they do. What they do is to experience those relationships. And you know, I, I think it's interesting that there's the fact that you had the vision of the long haul and that you've got a you've got an industry that is one of the more difficult places to have the long haul because so many restaurants don't have the ability to take your vision, your values and transition those into the next generation management or a, def, definitely across multiple locations as well. So I think um, how did you, you know, how did you make sure that you felt comfortable as you started stepping away? And then maybe that'll, before we even answer that, we can, there was a triggering event that happened based on you launching a product line that I think you were, that there's, well, here's your next idea. So how did you deal with all of those emotions and strategies on your new venture that you wanted to, um, to pursue and also backing away from the current one? So I did it very quickly. One, Obviously, I, I think there was great confidence in the people and the team uh, that I worked with. I knew them very well. We'd all been together for, for many years. Um, you know, some from well, one person, uh, Patricia, from day one, Peter, who was uh, running the operations, uh, day-to-day operations, uh, 
for, my God, at that stage, probably 10, 11 years or so. And so there was great confidence there. And then it was a question of, uh, I suppose, pursuing what had been a, a trade of mine for many years to act on an idea, whether it was to open up a new pub, whether it was to take some initiative within the pubs as it related to uh, some of our beverage uh, operations or the food operations, or it could have been something on the service side of things, or certainly supporting and encouraging people on an operations side to use technology and um, things that they were coming up with, their own ideas. And so the idea then uh, to launch our own uh, brand of whiskey, uh, which originally was just going to be within the pubs, and it did so well within the pubs that it was only four months after that uh, that uh, the agreement had been reached where I would be bought out and I would take the whiskey on the road and uh, they would stay and uh, obviously run the pubs because you can't do both in this country since Prohibition, or at least you can't do it uh, transparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I certainly wanted to do it transparently and be fair to everybody as well. Um, and so uh, that happened uh, very, very quickly. And again, I would say it was just true to who, uh, to who I am myself. There was an opportunity, an idea, something that was of interest. It was going to be a certainly a big challenge uh, to put a new team together again uh, to launch to Ginger's Irish Whiskey. And, uh, you know, we did that. So, you know, it, it's interesting how, you know, how the, to go back to how you started that story, which is, so you were, you were actively, actively pursuing new ideas for within the, the restaurants and the operations where, whether it was service technology or ops. So, did, were you, did you have like a process that you're going through to filter through all these ideas before you came up with two gingers? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say there was much of a filter. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say the process was um, really just, again, always being curious about things, asking a lot of why questions. Well, why does that work like that? And not just within our industry. I mean, looking at things that were happening out in the world and unrelated to our industry, whether it was in the consumer products world, whether it was in other service industries, whether it was something that was happening internationally, whether it was something that just was kind of interesting, it was creative, it was different. And so connecting a lot of those dots, discussing it internally, uh, how do we think this would fit with who we are? I mean, you've got to stay true to who you are as a core. Um, but then within that core, what are the opportunities to, I suppose you call it innovation, to, to innovate in whatever aspect of the business so that it is going to improve the overall um, value to the customer? What, what is it that the customer, uh, what job do they want us to do for them? You know, um, and I think it's fairly clear what people want when they come to an Irish pub. And so we, how, how, how do you best, how do you best um, uh, satisfy that for a most place would say, well, boy, you need a niche in the market. It's for this demographic, et cetera. Well, the Irish pub, actually, it's more... Um, it's more a mindset. It's an attitude. That's your demographic that's out there. It's a demographic of, I would say, openness, um, friendliness, not taking themselves too serious and just want a great gathering place where they can let their hair down and nobody's judging and uh, uh, or has expectations other than obviously you treat people well. 
So, yeah. And the, which is all the things that you want when you go somewhere like that. And so how did, you know, a couple of questions on like, how did you land on the whiskey and then how did you guys kind of go through developing it? And so that's kind of more, of, well, I guess a little bit more of a practical question, but also, yeah. Wh- why don't you answer that one? Then I want to know how you decided to launch it and what, did you have any plans of what was going to happen? Cause so again, you know, how did you decide on two gingers and then how did you, you know, go about developing it? And then did you have any kind of plans for what was going to happen? Should it take off? Well, the local itself was the single largest Jameson account in the world, on-premise account in the world. And it was for five years running. Of Jameson, the, uh, did you say? You know, yeah. And the uh, the brass plaques are in the terrazzo floor at the local. And, you know, but one of the things was that we were, and the reasons for that was we were selling as much Irish whiskey in the summer as we were in the winter, which is not what one would normally, and certainly back then, it wasn't the norm. Uh, and we were doing that because we had a cocktail called the Big Ginger. And uh, the Big Ginger, we trademarked it, and the people would be drinking Irish whiskey as it was uh, in a Collins glass with ginger ale, lemon, and fresh squeezed lemon and lime over ice. And people were drinking it at happy hour in the summer versus maybe a domestic uh, beer or a, or a house wine or something along those lines. And so it was, uh, we were doing very well with it, but um, I felt there was an opportunity in talking with Peter and the rest of the management team that there was an opportunity for us to launch our own whiskey. And through relationships uh, with our distributor here, Phillips and, uh, and Dean Phillips, and then also with um, uh, the what was the Cooley Distillery at the time, the Kilbegan Distillery in Ireland, uh, we were in a position to um, to create our own blend, uh, create our own blend and our own brand of Irish whiskey, and it needed to be personal. So obviously, uh, the idea of two gingers, well, basically, it's my mother and my aunt. We had the big ginger that was trademarked, and the goal was to just have it, uh, you know, it was a little different in the sense that it was distilled twice, versus three times for all other Irish whiskies, but it was blended whiskies, and then it was age four years versus three years. And so, you know, there were things about it. Uh, it had a high malted barley content, about 22%. And so this was an opportunity for us to create a, a high-quality product, uh, have our brand on it, and make it part of the brand of the pubs as well. Uh, because nobody else had um, own brand of liquor that they were selling. And we were still going to serve all the other Irish whiskeys that were available. And so it was up to the customers uh, to choose. But we obviously would promote this uh, beyond what we would, the the competitor brand, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, we were able to do that with the distillery. And uh, I still have that relationship today, which is now... Six years later, well, it'll be seven years next March. That's awesome. So, like, and by the way, it's fantastic. I absolutely love the uh, big ginger and your whiskey. It's uh, it's definitely Thank a you. favorite. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yes, absolutely. That right. was before I met you, so I, I'm not biased. <laughs> and, right. Um, I like that. So. Obviously, I mean, you said it took it took off in four months, and so with how quickly this is, I guess you know one of the main you know one of the main questions that I have based on some of your story is, 
because of the pubs and the atmosphere and the people and the friendliness, I mean, most businesses are are reflections of the entrepreneurs and your business is a crazy reflection of you, your values. You're representing Ireland here in the Twin Cities. So there's a, there's got to be a lot of pride and and own, you know, and how you own the things that happen inside those pubs. And I know you had the team, but you know, within four months for you to like almost separate like that, you know, how did you guys go about doing that? And how, you know, how, how did that mentally go over with you? Uh, well, mentally, I mean, I don't have a strong attachment, uh, uh, to things that, you know, I don't baby stuff or whatever. I'm, pretty certain we're here for a short period of time on this earth and so I'm not yeah I'm not attached to things I'm I'm more attached to um, well what can excite you today get you out of bed keep you up late at night um, uh, how does that fit in with the rest of your life your family your friends uh, community all of those things and so I knew that I was going to continue to obviously have a relationship with the people that I had worked with for all those years and of course I still do have a relationship with them. They're also a customer, obviously, because mm-hmm. now they they buy the product and they and they support it. And so, uh, with many other places, of course, as well, of which we're very thankful for. Uh, and so, that part of it, not so much. I'm certainly very um, uh, supportive of all the things that they do and want to continue to do that. Uh, but for me, I guess it really was. Well, this is an interesting and exciting challenge that's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, you know, can we, uh, you know, relative to what market you're in and your product, can you do the absolute best with your product? I mean, that's pretty important to me because that is a reflection of oneself and certainly of one's heritage and all of those things, and with your family and whatnot. So you do want to produce the best possible product you can within the category that you're in. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And and so it obviously you probably just knew it, you know, within your gut, like, okay, this is something. And it's like you said, it's a new challenge and it probably instinctively made sense. How did you guys technically structure the, you know, the actual transition? Cause you, from what I understand, you sold the pubs to the management team. So, you know, how did the, is there any, an insight you got on how you structured that, how you valued it, how you worked out the, any kind of deals. I mean, we don't have to get into the actual financials, but just things for uh, owners that, because I think even, again, in the restaurant space is even more difficult. Um, but how did you guys uh, technically structure some of that transition? Well, uh, many of the key people already had sweat equity in the business. And uh, it was really a question of putting, getting an outside firm to put a val- an evaluation on the business based on our history, our financials, and what uh, the, um, uh, the you know the prospects, the projections were looking like. And we just agreed on a number, and that was that was pretty much it. It was not a it was not a difficult or time consuming or expensive uh, process. Um, I would say it was just like everybody looked and said, "Right, that seems fair. It's kind of a win win." Okay, let's do it. 
That's oh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, did you, did you do, I mean, did you get outside bank financing or was there, cause like, you know, I don't know if you own the buildings or not, but I know sometimes, you know, depending on how, you know, what's structured underneath it, you can use buildings to help finance it or you just do, you know, earn outs or, you know, installment uh, notes. Well, it, it was over a period of time. And then that time is, uh, that time is not, but it also involved, of course, the whiskey. And then uh, one of my partners, the business, uh, Henry, who's still involved, also really drove the financing side of that business. But, uh, but we're also banked with Venture Bank as well. And um, I have, I'm with the same insurance agents, the same accountants, uh, the same bankers, even though it's a different bank, and the same lawyer, except that he just retired about a year ago since I started out here 30 years ago. (laughs) Those relationships, that helps as well, because obviously Mm -hmm. everybody's very familiar with each other and uh, there's a trust factor. And so it's not true. You're not trying to um, get to know each other. And uh, so it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty smooth. Yeah, I think um, you you hit on a key point there is having people uh, at the table that actually all know each other and understand what you're trying to do because then you don't have to be looking out for yourself all the time. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good run of now almost thirty years with all those key people. Of course, they're Your all beginning be- to, they're all beginning <laughs> to retire, which of course says something about what in the name of God am I doing? <laughs> you know, really, I think. You know, entrepreneurs, again, have a, a little bit different, deeper fire passion within. So, it, you know, we're chasing something. Um, you know, is there, you know, when you look at where you're going and, you know, like where the future of the longevity, going back to, you know, to steal your phrase, it's about, you know, the longevity and making something last. You know, what are you applying that would that is going to help you accomplish that? No. Well, they ended up, they, they beam actually bought the distillery in Ireland, and we could have probably continued to be independent. As it turns out, we could probably have continued to be independent maybe forever. Uh, but they made a, uh, they made a pretty compelling uh, case of why we should uh, go with them. And of course, shortly after that, they got bought up by Suntory. And now it's a very interesting, uh, I mean, it really is an interesting, it's fascinating. <laughs> I love, um, I love uh, uh, working with some of the people there and looking at, uh, you know, how they make decisions. And uh, they have a lot of very talented people working there, that's for sure. And so it is interesting. I think I learn a lot from them as well. And so... Were you planning on selling that fast or did they come knocking on your no, door? Or no, how did no. That- uh, but that was not the plan. No, uh, the plan was to build a nice business. Well, so how do they value something that was only 15 months old? I mean, was it, or did you look at like using their distribution uh, system to make sure, you know, how did, how did you, how do you come to a negotiation? Well, I like think that? it's, uh, it's partly on, I mean, how do you value uh, anything you value based on what's the, the, the current performance, but a lot of it has to do with what's the potential. Where do we see this going? And the potential was obviously going to be heavily uh, driven by also what they could bring to the table in terms of, again, the financial resources, but also the distribution uh, resources that they had as well and their relationships and expertise in those fields. And so it was, um, uh, again, it was, you know, I would say it was kind of a little bit of a gut 
thing as well, a uh, bit of intuition, you know. I think I like these people, and I think we can kind of work well together, and uh, let's see how this journey works out. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh yeah, well yeah I I love how, how you said it's about the potential because a lot of people don't necessarily think about that where I mean in when you get into the strategic acquisitions like that it's all about the potential and you probably following your gut and knowing what the you know what you guys could do together numbers kind of go out the window because you're not you know looking at like you did with the bars looking at the cash flow and you know doing some normal financing right. it's about it's it's completely different so I don't know if you want to is there Anything you would, any kind of insights you'd say about how that process is completely different than the internal transition well, you did? Well, I think you start to really look at, uh, at, you know, what the trends are out in the marketplace. Uh, you look at what the assets of the business are. Obviously, you look at that in any situation. Uh, but uh, for me, it was after such a short period of time, it was really about how do you how do you articulate um, what you believe uh, are the 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 winds that are the favorable winds that are going to drive uh, the business? Now, somebody like Abin Centauri have access to an awful lot more data, uh, raw data, um, than I would have had. Uh, but I had the uh, Benefit, I suppose, being on the uh, the end, the consumer side of the business. Mm-hmm. I was a, re- a retailer, and just the fact that you you know talk to a lot of people and you see things over a longer period of time, and you can kind of tell about some things in terms of a trend. You know, whether it is Irish pubs, maybe there's an opportunity for Irish pubs uh, because of the way the market is going. Maybe there's an opportunity for Irish whiskey because where the market is is going. What are the trends out in the marketplace? And so that's where you know observing and being curious and uh, looking all across, not just your own industry but all other industries, probably helps a little bit as well. It can maybe also get you in trouble, but you know that's part well, of it you- as well. Oh, I think you hit on a couple of really key points because, you know, it's a lot different in the corporate world where you're sitting in a boardroom and, you know, it's all theory and hypothesize or, you know, what are the, what are the, the, the guesses that everybody's got in order to determine what the customer is going to do where you're just actually asking them and serving them. It's a, it's a totally different insight. Yes, it is very much a different insight. And I think, you know, that's why you see most of the major companies now, certainly all the liquor, big companies, Diageo, Pernod Ricard. Uh, the French company that owns Jameson Powers, Paddy, Redbreast, all of those whiskeys, Bean Satori, General Mills, Kellogg's, Unilever, they all have these separate uh, startup uh, incubator, if you want to call it. I mean, they're all slightly different, but basically it's how do they tap into what the next trend is, and they run them separately from the headquarters from the main corporate uh, body because they are different uh, different mindsets and different activities and different skill sets that are required to identify and to you know, seed and nurture and grow a new idea. That's very difficult within the large mm-hmm. corporation mm-hmm. because, you know, People have, uh, you know, the, the, they're, they're on tight budgets and they're, they're very focused on goals and, and process. And uh, they're also very, uh, you know, trying to climb the corporate ladder. So making mistakes, uh, not good for the resume. Right. You know, well, 
if you're starting business, if you're an entrepreneur, you better not be too afraid of uh, risk, you know, making mistakes. You're going to have them, you know, just, you're just not going to bat um, a thousand. Yeah, the, the, the faster you fail, the, the faster you figure it out. <laughs> I'm still involved with the, with the brand, working with them. And it's the portfolio of Irish whiskies, they own the distillery in Ireland also. And the portfolio of whiskies, they've got Tyrconnell, Kilbegan, Connemara, two gingers. Uh, I get to work on all of those brands now with them, really more on the visioning side, uh, the strategy side, and also as an uh, ambassadorial side as well. And so I get to, to stay involved primarily because I'd like to finish the job, I guess, and uh, it's sold now around the U.S. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a growing market and it's a kind of an interesting challenge. How do you have one foot in the entrepreneurial world and one foot in the big corporate world? But uh, so far, we're all getting along just fine. As we're kind of wrapping up here, what, with your pursuit of ideas and passion, I mean, what, I'm just kind of curious, you know, where is your other gleaming ideas coming from? Is there anything on the forefront that you see yourself um, potentially chasing or, you know, what's the main purpose that you, or thing that you're trying to accomplish at this point? Well, we've got food building in Northeast Minneapolis. Um, we've got the only whole hog salumi production in the, in the whole country, red table meats, winning national awards, doing very well here in town. We've got to grow that business. It's in the very early stages, uh, but it is at the highest end of uh, the salumi uh, uh, it's really good market in, in, in the country. Uh, then we've got Bakersfield flour and bread, organic grains from Minnesota, stone milled flour here on site. Uh, and stone milling flour uh, is, I believe, and obviously I'm not the expert, but Steve Horton, uh, who is the miller baker and is the expert. Of course, people in his world believe that if you stone mill the flour, then you have to have start with great green, obviously, which is, you know, uh, in abundance here in Minnesota. Uh, that is the only way to get the best flour and ultimately the best bread as well. And so that's exciting to have, again, products. Uh, you know, Mike Phillips with Red Table. I mean, you know, he could go up against anybody in that profession in this country. And so these are the things where you get, you can have... Uh, very high quality products uh, that really represent what real food is about. Uh, they're very clean labels. The nutrition and the flavor uh, value in them is at top end of the scale. And so that's exciting to be doing those types of things as well. So, you know, so that's keeping us, keeping us busy as well at the moment. So as I say, is the food, you know, I know I love the, I love the concept of the food building too, because what you're 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 diversifying your interests and the ability to help everybody accomplish these things. I mean, is it your w way to keep all these different ideas and being able to you know keep fresh in the different places that you like? I mean, I I'm just kind of curious because I think it's I think it's something a lot of people struggle with. Where how to keep energized and keep the ideas flowing without taking a bunch of risks as well as 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 the as the time frame <laughs> closes in. <laughs> Well, I would say that probably if I, there was a psychological profile done on me, they'd probably say that I, I must be running from something. Um, I, you know, I don't know. This, this is 
certainly uh, this is a this is a big commitment and a big investment, and I'm all in on this as well. And so, you know, all of these, um, I even consider two gingers and the Irish whiskey portfolio as almost a startup in this country. Uh, and certainly the other products with Red Table and Bakersfield that we've got here are all startups as well. And the concept of food building itself is a startup. And so it's going to be a mighty challenge over the next couple of years um, to to get them to, to solid ground. But I believe uh, if we're successful in doing that, uh, that it can really be a very significant part of the movement towards greater diversity in the food production uh, side of uh, business here in the Twin Cities or in Minnesota in general. I think we can be a key part of that with many others. Many others are doing tremendous work out there as well. But it's a very exciting time to be in the uh, real food startup business in uh, Minnesota. So, uh, Kieran, as we're as we're wrapping up here, um, if there's one thing you want to highlight over the the journeys that you've had as an entrepreneur, if you've been starting and pursuing your passion, you know, one thing you want to highlight or leave our listeners with, what do you think it would be? No close second. Work with four people that share the same values. What is the best way, Kieran, for people to get in touch with you? Uh, well, Kieran at uh, com is pretty easy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I absolutely had a blast. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Kieran. I really had a blast talking to him. And my three takeaways from listening to him are that you can grow a business that is true to who you are, really reflects your personality, especially in a bar and the, the restaurants that Kieran created. They were deeply ingrained in his pride from Ireland and who he was and what he wanted to deliver to the clients and the atmosphere. He was so involved and so intertwined with it, but he was not devastated when he sold it because he was looking above and beyond something and being attached to a business that can't love him back. So I was really impressed on how he was able to tee it up to his management team and really be proud about what he had built, but then move on very quickly with the two gingers. And his notion of having a thought and seeing it if it could work out the way that he wanted, which is pursuing the ideas and pursuing the passion, the ideas, and it wasn't necessarily about the actual physical things. And the second takeaway that I had was people are the key to success. I think a lot of us already know that, but he was able to align his vision for what he wanted with the the bars and the restaurants and two gingers and get his team on board and the longevity of the people that he had in an industry that is absolutely notorious for turnover, for stealing, for complications, and being able to create a staff member that or a staff and an executive team that made a transition seamless to him was very, very impressive. And you can just tell by the way that he was uh, explaining it that it would be an absolute blast working for him anyways. And the third takeaway that I had was he has a, a knack to always think about the customer. You know, he was always concerned about what was the feeling that they walked in when they exper- experienced the bar, the hospitality, and hearing knowing what the customer wanted and constantly having his ears and eyes open to different trends allowed him to 
succeed with the two gingers, but then also as two gingers was bought out and what he's doing now, he's very keen and aware of what his customers and clients want, which allow him to constantly be looking forward to the future. So I really appreciate you listening. I know there's tons of things out there begging for your time. You can check out the show notes and links on the website. And if you're really enjoying the show, please go on iTunes and rate it. It means a ton to me. And if you have ideas or thoughts for future topics or episodes, please reach out. So until next week, I hope you have a good one.